Curtis and our two resident experts, Connie Nagel and David Curtis. So when I got the production notes for today, uh, we were going to be talking about warm and cool, and I wasn't sure what that meant, a warm and cool food, like salads versus hamburgers. Uh, and then I was told, no, no, it's, it is to do with painting. So I guess we talked about warm and cool colours. So I'm going to start off with a quote by Francis Bacon that says, all colours will agree in the dark. Now, I'm then going to pass this over straight to, uh, to Connie and David to give their, uh, to give their expectations as artists. Uh, they have just come in from painting all day. I filled them full of caffeine and chocolate cookies, so hopefully they're good to go. So, take it away, Connie. Oh, Warm and okay. cool colours. <laughs> all right. So, um, thank you, Judy. Oh, you're and um, I, um, I probably would agree with Francis Bacon that the, that the colours do look great in the dark. <laughs> but if we put a little light on the subject... Um, the warm colors um, give us sort of um, they're sort of high key colors. There lots there's um, there's bright brightness, gaiety to them. Um, some of the cool colors sort of bring us into uh, something of a heaviness, sometimes somber. Um, one of the things that um, I was going to mention is that color is a universal language, instantly appeals to people whether they are you know, connoisseurs of art or, or not. I think that we can all say that the color has an emotional appeal. Yeah, and um, so warm colors, such as red on the lips, you know, mm -hmm. will, um, will have an, uh, a, a tremendous emotional effect. You know, I suppose uh, that's color. why women use red lipstick <laughs> so, to have that so, tremendous And it does. <laughs> it does. And so colors come in and they're almost like um, they, they're stand-ins mm -hmm. for something that is, um, that is alive and uh, vibrant. And, um, and I think when we were thinking about this warming and cool color uh, podcast, we were thinking about how you might design a composition, an oil painting composition, in particular, our emphasis is on outdoor painting, and, and design that with warm and cool context, mm -hmm. so that you be looking at, at what you have been painting, and, and try to create a rhythm, and, and a harmony of warm and cool Colors. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of vibrant and alive, let's go straight over to Dave and see uh, see how you've done. You've been painting all day. You got a nice piece there. Were you thinking of warm and cool colors? Do you act actively think about this when you're painting? Yes, we actively think about whether your painting is going to be a warm painting or a cool painting, and I think you can be uh, surprised. Uh, when you're out of doors uh, that uh, you, you look at everything and all the, the greens of summer and the blue, what was a bright blue sky here today. Mm. So it'd be very easy yeah. to get into this, just a cool painting that would be very harmonious colors of greens and blues and just uh, be nice to not have, take a good I nap. I could say, green and blue just puts so you to sleep. So <laughs> I think there's also a way of uh, making uh, a subtlety with these warm colors. So I tried to, I knew it was uh, dominating blues and greens, but I knew also too I had to warm my painting up. So I tried to find subtle ways of 
nature is the inspiration, so there was a little red, just a little bit of red in the sky. Maybe I tipped that scale just a little bit, made it a little more red than it really I really observed. Um, same with the grasses. The grasses were, you know, it's sort of a, a cool green. But I sort of tried to get the sun to hit on it a little bit and make it a little warmer, just a nudge, nudge all the colors a little bit. And I think I ended up with some uh, a warm painting because of that. Yeah. I think the whole idea behind warm and cool would be very similar to, uh, I think Connie mentioned, it also has to do with turning the form. So if you're turning form with warm and cool colors, the convexity or the concavity, say in a portrait, where you might find in the shadows of the eye sockets more greens and blues and violets, and in the cheeks and in the nose maybe more rosy colors, reds and oranges and, and yellows, uh, to, to create that feeling of convexity and concavity, something dipping in and something rising to the surface. And the same principle can be used, I think, out of doors in a landscape. Uh, some of our great landscape painters were started off as portrait artists. I can think of John Sargent, mm. uh, very fine. Soroya was a great mm. portrait artist, but also a great landscape painter. And I think it's that idea of subtly turning form with just this understanding of warm and cool that, that helped them out tremendously in, in developing their paintings. But I think it's, you know, somebody was saying today, uh, talking about imagination. I don't know, we ran into some uh, sculptor and she was talking about, um, you know, talking about how she was developing her a new surface and a new texture. And um, you can almost sense that she was talking about a feeling, like what painters do when we're talking about, because we have a flat surface. And we're talking about a color to turn the form very subtly. And, and I, think, I think that's, that's what we're after, is that, that subtle turning of the form as a landscape painter that sometimes doesn't... Um, sometimes doesn't occur in nature itself, so a little imagination thrown in there, I think, adds to adds to it. Okay, so before I, you go out to paint, you have to take your artistic license with you so that you can make these. Right. So you're not really painting the scene per se. You have to make these these judgments. You have to have the knowledge enough to make these judgments that you can do that. Well, you just become more of a child and uh, go out and play. Yeah. And uh, don't worry about going off to and punching the clock, but you go out as a child and, uh, and play more and exercise that imagination. Is it all right if I make this grass a little yellower? Of course it is. You know? uh, I, I think, I think, I think yeah. it's those kind of things. I, I think that David's hitting on, on a lot of, you know, we do say overstate, understate, never tell the truth, uh, but, but it's also hitting on that illusory quality mm -hmm. you know how we can create illusions of certain things and we can do that through this warm cool orchestration yeah. of color and um and so whatever we're seeing out in nature let's say it is a bright blue sky with uh with a very green um earth uh we can create an illusion of it being somewhat warm and, and mm -hmm. cozy and inviting. Or, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and or as you did in your painting today, you made it more mysterious by going yeah. sort of more cool. Mm -hmm. uh, a wonderful landscape, I think, with, that evoked these, these, a mystery and a, a feeling of, of uh, like I, I saw a procession of monks walking through your painting, Connie. <laughs> you <today>. did? <laughs> well, I mean, not. I didn't see no monks. That's great. 
I would say, I'm sorry, not I'm sure sorry. that that's, a, that's a, a compliment or not, but, but it does speak to the idea that, that color will, uh, and color in, you know, we were talking about primary, uh, we haven't spoken of primary, secondary, and tertiary colors, but that's what, what is going on constantly. We're never, sometimes we are putting pure primary colors out there, but we always juxtapose it with some kind of gray. It's a cool gray or a warm gray. And, um, and I think that in these deep, dark, uh, like what David's referring to, in my painting on the right-hand side, there's a lot of strong, uh, rich, dark colors. Yeah. And, That's uh, what all the monks are. The and I was going to say, there's a there's a host of things that could be erupt out of that and reveal themselves and uh, be completely accidents on my part. Um, but that's all the play of this warm and cool color notation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so when you're going out and you're doing your painting, can a painting be both warm and cool? I mean, obviously you have to have, if the sun's out, you have these warmer stretches of, of landscape and maybe you've got some shadowy bits, but can you tip it too much one way or the other? Well, I, th I think there's a balance, obviously. You don't want everything to be... But I think one thing predominates. We always talk about gestalt, right. the, the unity. You want variety in a painting, but you don't want the painting to be busy mm -hmm. with things. So you need variety, but you need the unity. Yeah. Unity always wins out. Uh, if it's too simple as a design and a composition, I think that will speak speak out and say, you know, I'm too you add a little variety to me. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's in that vein that when I look at color out of doors or make judgments of warm and cool, uh, I think it's I think it also too it has to have that harmony in it if we're talking about colors. And uh, the music of Warm and Cool, uh, mm -hmm. the, Connie mentioned rhythm in Warm and Cool is very important. One, um, I always, t I, in these podcasts, I always end up talking about stories about the boys. <laughs> and, uh, but these are stories that stick with me in my mind because out of the mouths of babes, I guess, mm -hmm. is the excuse, you know. But I, my son was a monitor in a little children's art class. And so they asked me to go down and do a painting demonstration for the children's art class. Maybe 10 years old. That, that, so I'm, I'm doing it. I decided to do a simple little house uh, with trees around it and cast shadows on the house and uh, spots of light. And I thought the kids were awfully quiet. There were only five or six kids. I thought they were awfully quiet. So I wanted to find out if they were awake. So I tested them and I made my door too red. So it was the wrong key of red. And I said, does anyone see what's the mistake to this painting? A little boy raised his hand and said, Mr. Curtis, the temperature's wrong on your door. <laughs> and I thought that was a great a great line. And I understand, I learned something. He taught me something. Temperature. What yeah. a wonderful new word to use instead of warm and cool. Yeah. What mm -hmm. is the temperature of that yellow in the garden? What is the temperature of the red? What is the temperature of the blue? And, and that way, he's talking about degrees of warm and cool. And, and I made two or three slashes on the door till he said, yep, that's the right one. So I think color and temperature is a feeling that we can mm -hmm. sense. We don't have to have uh, some measurement uh, device that would say, 
that's the right color to go with that. It's a feeling and a sense of what feels right to us, uh, looks right, if, if you go that way. I think, too, that people, you know, as an artist, we're, we're, uh, we're trying to match the local color at times. Not always, but at times. And uh, in doing so, we do try to get that degree of warmth or 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 coldness or whatever it is, that temperature. And I love that idea that it is a matter of degree, not of kind. Yeah. yeah you were also talking about um, color can either bring forms forward or push them into the mm. background, mm -hmm. warm and cool colors. Um, I remember David giving me my, my, first, um, my first painting lesson just after we were married, and we were talking about these trees at the end of on the headland at the end of uh, Manchester Harbour. And he said, what colour do you see? And I said, green, because obviously there were trees. And he mm -hmm. says, no, you see purple because they're in the distance. It would be a different a different colour, a different value. And it took me a long time to really understand because I didn't see purple. But over the years, I've sort of tried hard to look at things and squint and do all the things mm -hmm. artists are supposed to do. And it did finally come to me that, yes, you were right. I agree, Pat, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> But no, it took you, a while to, well, you to had my father as your first teacher, therefore, that's right. Yes, I, I think he would have, I would have gone with him too. <laughs> so I think you're absolutely right. Uh, but I, I, I think it is, it, it is this idea of feeling what color is, and I think sometimes people can get into the science of these things too much mm -hmm. and not feel it. When I had to do again a, a children's story, uh, my son's class in kindergarten. And the teacher said, oh, do you have, Mr. Curtis, you have an idea for the kids? I said, yes, I do. She said, well, you'll have to do three, three sessions of cleaning, the, in our class, uh, of cleaning the brushes before we can use your idea. So I was willing to clean the brushes. And so the third or fourth time in, Mr. Curtis, do you have an idea? I said, yes. You don't have a color wheel on your wall. This is a kindergarten class. I remember vividly of having a color wheel on the wall just to gaze off and study the colors. So I, she said, oh, that's a brilliant idea. You know, it would have cost her 5 and 95 to buy a color wheel. But anyway, so I had the kids make color wheels. And the first thing I said to them, what, feels, what colors feel warm to you? What colors feel cool to you? Mm. And everybody, all the kids knew. You know, blue feels cool. Yeah, why? You know, we, 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 you know, what is the reasoning behind this? You know, and as we explore different cultures and color and understanding of color in different cultures... It's, it's, very, it's very interesting. They might not have an actual word for the particular color. Like mm -hmm. we have a cerulean blue, a manganese blue, different shades of that blue-green, Prussian blue. But um, it, the words don't really mean as much as when we look at it and feel it, you know, and, right. and sense what color it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I was also thinking that warm and cool... Uh, just those, that terminology really corresponds to nature's harmonies that we see all the time in front of us. And that, um, and it's, um, it's kind of natural, like you're saying, it's instinctive. It, we have an instinctual uh, realization that, uh, you know, some yellow poppy or orange poppy comes out and it's hot mm -hmm. with its color. And, um, other things, uh, purples recede and maybe even fall away and we don't even notice them that much. Um, all of these are part of 
uh, nature, and we, as humans, are part of nature. <laughs> but, but we can use these colors uh, yeah. as artists, yeah. uh, like, a, like a conductor of a symphony orchestra. Ex he might not, re his interpretation is different from another conductor's interpretation of the same piece of music. Right. And, and I think it's how we view nature, and whether we want to emphasize this or that, but I think it was will always have to be in balance in some way the color system. Right. As right. Connie said, if we put uh, you know these warm uh, flowers down, uh, yellow or orange flowers, we're probably somewhere going to have to put some cool notes or some gray notes just to quiet that down, just so we have a balance. Or maybe it's to emphasize the 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 color of the poppies or the flowers more. You know. Uh, uh, over this spring, I was recovering from shoulder surgery, and um, and I was reading a lot about color theory, and and Charles Winter uh, was one of the color theorists that I uh, first began to read and appreciate the fact that he was constantly moving into what he called neutral grays. And these neutral grays, as we've said before, can lean toward a coolness, a green, uh, or a blue, or they can move toward a hot neutral, neutral gray. And, um, and the, all of this was to, a, a, as, as artists, we need to realize that it's a tool for us to, to create, if, we, if we're finding that our whole painting is in discord and it's too extreme, you know, it has too many colors that are too vivid, bright, you might a swash of one of these kind of um, gray-blue into it, and you'll notice that the piece starts coming into harmony. So I really think that it's a skill, it's a, it's a tool that we can utilize. As you said, yeah, the color solved the problem of the paint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it had nothing to do with the drawing ability of the person. It has more to do with how the colors are matched or are in relationship with one another in the, on the canvas. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, you talked about um, certain warm and cool colors and how they can give you the concept of space or distance. And it put me in mind of some of the Harold Rotenberg paintings that were mm -hmm. in the show earlier this year at the Cape Ann Museum. And he seemed to put turn everything around so that you would have this bright red, orangey, yellow sky uh, and then you would have a, a cooler foreground. And it struck me as just odd the way he was looking at it. When I first looked at some of Harold's paintings, it, they, they weren't a traditional kind of approach to painting at all, but I did get to appreciate his use of colour and, and how he was presenting the idea that he wanted to get across. And I just thought it was so interesting. One of my favourite ones was called Orange Sky for good reason. And this sky was so strong, and yet it didn't actually overpower the painting because everything else seemed to be in relation. The foreground was cooler and the background was, was warmer. It, it was unusual. But so, so an artist can use colour. They don't have to, um, to, to see it. You've got to know what colour does, I suppose, before you can start experimenting with doing things. Um, but after that, That's true. Um, you, can, you can try different things. Or do you have to... I suppose if you're painting out of doors, you're out there for a reason to represent what you see. 
Part, partly, but I think it's I think it's as you pointed out. We have artistic licenses. We're allowed to make changes. Do you have to pass an exam for that? No, you just have to be careful of the police. No. Yeah, you don't want the police fall when you're asking to pull over, and then you have to show them the license, so they won't quite understand what an artistic <laughs> license is versus a driver's license. <laughs> um, but you know, the two artists we talked about, Connie mentioned Charles Winter, you mentioned Harold Rotenberg, who are both, I believe, Harold Rotenberg experimented a lot with understanding of color mm -hmm. in order to shift things or move things, or I'm talking about form and mm -hmm. that relationship, same relationship of. Uh, the idea of something being close to me and something in the distance. So the theory being, a, a student would say to me, David, um, warm in the foreground, cool in the distance. I said, that's what they call a rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. And any carpenter that you would hire, you wouldn't want them to measure anything with their thumb. You'd <laughs> want them to use a, a ruler, you know. And uh, in the same way here, and I mentioned would say to them something like a sunset doesn't obey that rule. Mm -hmm. It's warm in the distance and cool in the front. It reverses. Mm -hmm. So nature really becomes the teacher for us as painters. Mm -hmm. And what the sunlight does to, to emphasize color. But color is one of those things that even if it's an overcast day and you were, say, painting flowers, uh, even on overcast day, those, those flowers are, are, can be brilliant. You could paint them bright, bright and brilliant. Um, but I think color too, and I sort of wanted Connie to address this, was it can create mood. Uh, right. Certain combinations of colors can create moods and feelings that um, can be communicated to others. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was also struck, I, I was thinking about Cezanne, because Cezanne, in, uh, when uh, he was painting, uh, he's kind of noted to be the father of modern painting and, you know, coming up with all these theories. Well, his, some of his work was, um, was strictly around moving or turning the form with color, you know, so, so, um, uh, and, and creating a mood in his painting uh, through that uh, color combination. And uh, I, I'm struck, too, by the Impressionists, the French Impressionists, especially when they would do, you know, they started putting those strong greens in a, in a portrait, you know, of the face and in the, you know, in the, uh, the colors that they were putting in apparently were uh, at first uh, considered garish and harsh and all this. But then people suddenly, they started seeing how much... Uh, emotion was coming from their paintings and and uh, you know people began to appreciate and actually crave that kind of depiction or interpretation of the portrait as opposed to just a straight out traditional portrait yeah well as you as you say that that color theory seemed to be prevalent yeah. from the 1900s to 1950s, I think you said once before, that there were so many color theories right around that time. Yeah. And we also see the shift uh, from academia and uh, sort of the, the gray and the somber grays to accentuate the flesh tones of uh, figures such as uh, Jerome or Bouguereau. And I think that the Impressionists found that the color was another way of communicating yeah. form. And I still, to this day, feel that that's, that's just been t lightly touched upon. 
just as some of the French academic painters were echoing some of the great uh, Renaissance masters in mm. what they were doing and how they were doing it with multiple figure compositions and things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, just as the French Impressionists started in 1900, and we're only 100 years from there, I think we, we are just scratching the surface of what color can also do in a painting. Mm -hmm. I think you're also tapping in on the other unknown, and that is the relationship of color to music, and that we don't really have a clear idea of what that one-to-one, uh, -one, if there is a one-to-one -one correspondence between color and music. And um, I'm reminded David and I went down to the Delaware Art Museum and we were taken into the archives to see Alan, uh, Charles Allen Winter's uh, work at, that wasn't currently up. And one of the pieces had to do with him painting uh, an orchestra. So he had the whole orchestration with all the the horns and the and the violins on this side and the clarinets and everything and they were all done in these different color notes and now we don't really have a full understanding just as David was saying that's probably that that big um, you know like uh, boom that happened between 1900 and 1950 of the color theorists and and all this um, interest in, in um, kind of research on color and music is not even, it hasn't gone very far. And we need to look at that in relation to warm and cool. <laughs> and I think, uh, just to follow up, I, I, I think that when we talk about warm and cool, and we bounced right into the color theory, I think it's just a better way of understanding what a color is, yeah. is to sense it and feel it rather than just to know it. Uh, to know all the primaries and the secondaries and the tertiary colors and all the con computations that you can get from mixing two tertiary colors such as Winter's or mm -hmm. Rotenberg's theory of, of you know, uh, let's reverse it in bright orange in proportion. I think it's just a, a, a great way of viewing color as just that idea of sensation Mm -hmm. or that color is a reacts to us a certain way. And I'm sure mm -hmm. I think we mentioned uh, the easiest way of understanding this is just by saying that color feels warm, that color feels cool. So therefore warm seems to do this and cool seems to do that. And then painters would change all that and say, well, the proportion of all this warm to a little bit of cool might change the whole idea mm -hmm. too. Um, and I think when, you, you know, if I have a beginning student and they look out and they say, well, the tree trunk is brown, I said, well, you're an artist now. It's not just being a lay person mm -hmm. identifying the tree trunk. What kind of brown is it? And I'll point out the three trees could be simultaneously all juxtaposed with each other. And I'll say, look at that. Every tree trunk there might have the same value, but each one has the same, has a different color. So, and nine times out of ten, it's funny, if there's three trees, there'll be a red one, a yellow one, and a blue one. So I don't know how much projection there is involved in this. Right. I was, you know, the other thing when I was talking about the music um, in relation to color, um, I'm still struck by the fact that um, as artists, uh, visual artists and, and oil painters, that... Um, that many times when you go into the how-to books on how to paint and, uh, you know, a, a 
it, it, they never do get too close. Uh, they talk about composition, but they usually have formulas for composition. And when you go into music, you think about the compositional um, ways that, pe- that they can put together all sorts of tones and, and, um, and, and come up with a musical score. You, um, you know that there's just a multitude of different compositional uh, uh, ways. And I think that that, that, um, that needs to happen in the visual world, too. That, that I still haven't seen uh, occur uh, completely, but I think it's moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And also, too, just as we wrap up, right, um, I think we never mentioned the word hot and cold. So it's, it, it's sort of interesting that we didn't say colors are hot, colors are cold. I think we're in the realm of it being a little more sensitive to the, to the understanding of the, uh, the intellect of the person to think of warm and cool rather than hot and cold. Yeah. Actually, I did have just one question before we, uh, we wrap it up. There's the expression that red can disappear. Am mm. I right? Have I imagined that? <laughs> So what makes, if red is a hot colour, sorry, excuse me, a warm colour, why does it tend to disappear in a painting? Well, I think it's because of its value. Nine times out of ten, yellow, just right out of the tube of paint, or yellow by its own nature, seems to be lighter in value than red. Yeah. So a lot of people will judge, if I, if I had yeah, two, I was always comparing two Mercedes-Benz convertibles, right? One red, one yellow, right? And you were to say, what do you see first, the red one or the yellow one? It's a great question to ask. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer because I think color is is the individual. Some people are adverse to red. I've never seen red. If I got invited to the red tie club dinner and somebody said, hey, did you see all those red ties? I said, what are you talking about? I never saw one. <laughs> and I think that's why red disappears. I think it's because of its, its dark value. But there's nothing like a red door on a barn to make that painting come to life because of its red door. Yeah. I think that's a perfect, um, because I think that there are some, some pure, pure colors uh, are, are um, lean to more to the, like the, if you were looking at a value scale of nine to zero to nine, let's say, they'd be in the five range. Right. You know, they wouldn't be up there um, in a high note, except for the yellow and yeah, white yellow is, and white. Yeah, well, and, yeah, yellow of all the prismatic colors, I think is the, is the dominant color because, but I don't think it has much. What is that? The psychology of yellow to be not um, not strong, maybe. Are we enveloped in yellow and don't even see it? Is that the the idea, or is it uh, like I said? What are they? When somebody says he saw red because he was so angry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like the bull who sees the red flag and charges after that red. Who knows what these emotional reactions are? Um, you know, maybe that's for another podcast. Good thinking. Well, thank you very much, Connie and David. I'm glad you were able to spare a bit of time after your uh, long day out painting. Uh, And uh, so as we wrap this up, I have uh, one parting thought uh, from Robert Brault, who says, On the sixth day, God created the artist, realising, no doubt, that he had far from exhausted the uses of colour. (laughs) 
And on that note, we'll say goodbye and have a great week and we'll see you next Monday. Thanks. Bye now. So that was a good...